That's Maybe Liverpool, man. He's mentioned that because Maybe, yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool, don't, Liverpool don't even have a conductor. We need you, bro. We need you. <laughs> <laughs> I sign him up quickly. Hey, yeah, he's job. Yeah, it's a shame, man. Hello, and welcome back to the B2B podcast. I'm your co-host as usual, Karis, and I'm joined by Kevin and Denzel, as you see every week. And we're also joined by two special guests. They're both Liverpool fans. So we have Dr. Raj, who's just fresh from his ward round, whatever he's doing. And we've also got one of our regular guests that we've had, Squeeze. So yeah, we're happy to have you both on. And yeah, let's get down to business. So I think it'll be good first to talk about the Chelsea and United game, as that was the big game on the weekend. So Denzel and Kevin, I want you guys to take the lead on this and we'll also add extra. So Kevin first, I need to ask you, how are you feeling? Ask the teeth first. Ask the teeth. <laughs> they, they, stole, they stole two of my points. Ask them. <laughs> Bro, like, football's a dirty sport, in it? Like, you can't always have it your way. But um, before we get into like highlighting the whole game, whatever, I think I want to highlight some individual performances first. So... I think a player that's gone under the radar for us a lot is Trevor Chaloba. He's played over 20 games for us and he's never lost, which I think is a great stat to have. And he's only like, what, 20, 21? Like, he's so solid. I love watching him play every week. Like, he's just he's just dependable. Like, you ask him to play a role and he does it. He hardly puts a foot wrong. So, and he's mad young as well. But um, I've got a couple a couple bones to pick in our team. Kukurea. <laughs> I want to know what's going on. Because after he made that debut cameo for us, we were all thinking, yeah, we hit the jackpot. We were all thinking, nah, that 60 mil was light. <laughs> now I'm seeing him play, yeah, I kind of want the 60 mil back. <laughs> because it's just like, what's he What's he doing? What's he actually doing? Like, he just, he misplaces the ball so much and gets caught out of position. It's just like, bro, you weren't doing this at Brighton, so why are you moving different because you're getting paid bare money now? I don't understand. And it's just confusing and frustrating because... When we bought him, <clears throat> we bought him knowing that he can play two positions. He can play um, left centre-back in the back three and he can play as a left-back or a left-wing-back. So technically three positions. But since that debut, he hasn't played any position particularly well, which is why he got hooked at half-time for Kovacic. So that for me was ringing alarm bells. I'm thinking, boy, if we spent 60 mil and we can't figure out where he plays well, it's smelling like Havertz all over again. And I'm just tired of it, man. Um, Wait, let me clear. Can I break it clear? I have to say, he was never worth 60 million, bro. Oh, never. He was never worth 60 million. Like, he's like a 30 million fullback. He done well, Brian, but he still had like, like a lot of flaws. You know what I mean? And plus, oh, so I, I remember when he lot brought him, I remember saying on the TL, like, he's not going to, like, he, like, he's not going to give Chelsea fans what they think. You know what I'm saying? So obviously, I remember like there were a couple of Chelsea fans that were saying to me, Shut up, you're a dickhead, you're just trying to share, bro. But <laughs> it is, man, it is what it is. But yeah, yeah, sir, bro, go on. No, it's true. I, the thing is, when they when we paid that 60 mil for him, I just knew it was like, you know what? They know we're a big club. They know we're desperate because we have to go through a massive rebuild. We're going to have to massively overpay. And I was like, you know what? It is what it is. Cool. Like, we had the money. We paid for it. And now I think he's just dropped straight like six out of tens. Besides his debut, which is disappointing. Um, another player as well that Karis warned me about, and I was, you know, gassing at the thing saying, I like, want you to. It's going to be different, you know, because. Yeah. 
is fucking Obama. <laughs> Karis told you. Karis told me that he's going to score one, two goals here and there, and then after that, he's going to stink up the place. And it happened. This guy is just, just he's geriatric. He's running around, just doing nothing <laughs> on the pitch. He's just there, bro. He doesn't offer anything. Karis was saying, oh, like he's decent at link up. He's not even doing that anymore. He's literally just hanging on the edge of the 18 yard box, waiting for something to happen. When I said decent, I said like half decent. It was me being nice to you. Like, the way when Obama was close to leaving, the way I did not like this brother, I was so gassed that he left. <clears throat> People were like, oh, he scores goals. Piers Morgan shouting, he guarantees you goals as your captain. I'm like, shut up, man. Oh, but Raj, what are you what are you saying about Chelsea and how they performed in the game? I mean, the first period of the game was an absolute shambles. To be honest, I think you learned from that period. You can't play with Jorginho Loftus Cheek pivot. They were getting absolutely dominated. United were just yep. cutting through them, really. It was passing through that midfield with ease. And when you, the only time you can play a double pivot if you're Chelsea at the moment, I think, is you've got to have Kovacic in there. He is the standout best midfielder at Chelsea. He closes space better than all of those guys. He reads the game better than all of those guys. And he's also comfortable in possession, which is Jorginho's strength. But then Jorginho's weakness is all of those other things in terms of closing space and defensively. Uh, he saw Kovacic come on, then they put a three-man midfield in there. Then things kind of changed. It basically balanced out the game. It then became a bit of a stalemate after that. Um, but yeah, I think that was what was highlighted to me from that opening period. And that is a problem for Chelsea because Kovacic's in- injuries are really bad. And you have to kind of tweak his minutes according to how much he's played in the last few games. So you can't play him every game. You know he's just going to break down. So that is a big area where Chelsea need to strengthen midfield. Um, Kante, especially now being missing and probably going to leave at the end of the season. You need a diff- another guy who can provide that defensive solidity and physicality in there. Um, but yeah, I thought Chelsea, I, I agree, Aubameyang was a non-entity, wasn't he really? He makes those runs. He knows where to run, but it's just legs just can't take him there. That is the yeah. crux of it now. Um, he's a purely service-reliant striker who needs stuff fed to him on a plate in the box. Uh, and Chelsea don't have the creativity for that, especially when Reese James is out. Um, there's no central creativity I think that is why you guys are after Nkunku this guy can create stuff for you uh, and get those chances you need from central areas all of your attacks come from wide even those AC Milan games all of your best moments came from Chilwell attacking space or James on the ball so that you, you guys are missing that link that's there. Chelsea man fullback FC I'm telling you yeah, that's Mal, another thing like, once they locked up I think they locked up Mount and Chilwell and basically there was zero creativity like, it was done mm. That's all they had to do. Nullify two players and just play whatever football they want. I was watching, I was thinking, this isn't, that's our worst performance this season, in my opinion. We were playing like, we were playing like we're just a newly promoted team that's never smart Premier League football before. And we're just like stargazed <laughs> by being like, oh, right, that's Man United. It was just embarrassing to watch, to be as honest. You should. I said, as you should, you know, please. But now, like, in contrast, I was watching that game with my girl, yeah. And I was just giggling. I was with like, go away. I was, I was just so happy. Like, she was looking at me, I was like, why are you smiling so much? I was like, I've not seen such beautiful football for the past 10 years. I had to check my pulse, like, twice. We were just pressing them. I was, I was looking like, this is this, this is pain. Beautiful. Like, oh, the team was so well-drilled. And it's a fact that every player seems so disciplined, especially with everything that we hear every single week from these United players about how ill-disciplined they are and how they're not really fighting for the badge. It was a very, very beautiful performance. By the end of the day, that scoreline does disappoint me, but to stick to the positives, 
if the Glazers could really just support Ten Hag with a striker that can finish, because despite what the scoreline says and how the game may be perceived, I still believe that a clinical striker would have scored at least one or two. I believe Rashford yeah. would have scored at least one or two. Rashford is a fantastic player, but I don't think it's a coincidence that his best instances come from the left flank, which yeah. tells you what position you should play. Um, and Anthony, I think he's kind of got that... Um, you know those symptoms that was plaguing Neymar early in his career when he doesn't know when it's politically correct to do skills. Like we could, we could be, we could be losing three no yet. I can imagine this guy doing spins in the in the right wing. I'm thinking, what, 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 what? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Casemiro is a revelation. He's so simple. He does what needs to be done. He's Mister Fundamental. So in the basketball term, for the basketball listeners, he's like the football version of Tim Duncan, in my opinion does what you need to do at the right time, not flashy. He's all about doing what he's got to do. Um, Varane? That injury. Aubameyang ended his career, bro. (laughs) You got Uh, done by a 34-year-old Aubameyang. (laughs) Dr. Raj, can you please chip it for Varane? We need it for the end of the season still. (laughs) 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 There's there's no saving that guy, man. He's got muscles made out of biscuits, that guy. Honestly, <laughs> osteoporosis, that brother, fam. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's all I got to say, man. Back like, to back Anthony, to though. So back to Anthony. He has no right foot. That's what I yeah, clocked on that he, game. His weak foot is like it's one star, bro. It's one, one star. He had a chance on the right foot, didn't he? And he hit it wide. Yeah. yeah, he just can't shoot off that foot at all, like at all. But we need to, we need we need to have an intervention for Jaden Sancho. I think that yes. conversation. It needs to be had. That's the thing. If you, get, if, you get, if you get a striker, that will improve you in two areas. You'll have a striker better than Rashford and you'll also have a left-winger Rashford more suited playing there than Sancho. So you'll yeah. improve in two areas. It's just, I don't get it, man. I was patient. I was thinking, you know what, like, give him time. Like, you know, he's young, he's adjusting to the league or whatever. But he's just, it's not, something's not clicking there. And to be honest, it's symptomatic with like players that come from Bundesliga to the Premier League. They rarely do well. I don't know what it is about that league, but there's loads of examples. You know, we've had Timo Werner, complete cheeks. Arsenal had Socrates, cheeks. Very. Loads of players from Bundesliga, they just struggle to make that jump in the Premier League. But I just don't know what it is. That like, Why is it such a... It's like the jump from GCSE to A-level for some reason. They just don't seem to make that jump at all. I don't, don't, give, me, don't give me flashbacks, man. That was long. Did you try them at 10? I've been thinking this for time, but I don't want to say openly because, you know, you could get laughed at. Yeah. But I, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think Sancho, yeah. like, could have a left wing because he's, like, to be a 10, like, you need to be able to spin. Do you know what I'm saying? And yeah. I'm I, 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 as well, Sancho likes to, you know, combine. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, he likes to combine. And as well, he likes to come in from that left. Do you know what I mean? So, for me, he's either left or bus. Do you get what I mean? Like, I think he's either left or bus, I think, as well. I think... I think if he gets struck, I think Sancho might come alive. I think. Mm. I, I'm personally still silently, I believe in him. Do you get what I mean? Because, because like, I, I still feel like maybe he's still getting up to date with, with the system. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I'm not, I'm not going to write him off just yet because obviously he thrives with a striker. Someone that he can play off. And as well, your system is still, you know, getting put together. Like, you're not as, like, United are not playing the way um, Tenag wants to play for the long term. So I feel like a striker might improve Sancho. I, like, I even think that Rashford 
although he's improved, I still feel like if you put back on on left wing, he might struggle there. But yeah, 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 yeah. Thing is, Sancho at Dortmund had a very good connection with Haaland. I think yeah. if you signed a striker like Victor Osimhen, I think Sancho yeah. you'd see a lot better for him. He can put those through balls in behind for him, yeah, uh, and develop a connection that way. But with yeah. Rashford, there's nothing there going on. Yeah, and maybe <laughs> yeah. if I'm not sure about Malasia or sure, I'm not sure if if Sancho struggled with with those two um, players behind him. But if you can get a left back that can really you know have that um, kind of thing with them, then it, it might go well. But personally, I'm not just gonna give up on on, on Sancho just yet. Cause I still feel like there's okay. It, it sounds cliche, but you know what I'm saying like there's a player there. Do you get what I mean? But yeah. There's definitely a player there. It's just he's, yeah, he's struggling to come out of his show a bit. Maybe if mm. you guys had the lack of that strike partnership or whatever, but, you know, at least, I guess when a player always struggles in like their first season, everyone's always like, yeah, when, well, when Henri came, like he always struggled for like the first mm. season and then he became one. And plus as well, just to add as well, is that I think right now, the style of play that Ten Hag plays doesn't see Sancho as much. I think, not not say that you played the same system um thing but I think with Sancho he needs a team that keeps the ball most of the time a team that can sustain pressure blah 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 so obviously I feel like with United I'm sure that against um with Arsenal you lot played on the um the counter-attack against us um you played on the um the counter-attacks I feel like maybe when your team is more settled when you're keeping the ball a bit more maybe 60 70 percent Possession, I think that might help him as well. You get what I mean? I feel like he doesn't. He he's a high volume player. You get what I mean? Like he needs a ball quite a bit to make a difference. But yeah. Do you know yeah. what my issue with Sancho is? I feel like personally, and some might disagree. I feel like he's a bit of a one dimensional player. And what I mean by that is, say if I compare him to someone like Bukayo Saka, Saka is somebody that I feel like you can play him in any system and he will thrive. He's somebody that mm. can combine with players, like give like quick one twos. He's somebody that this season, at least, he's developed his ability to run in behind. And you just know that he has various ways of hurting the opposition. Like, it's not just one way. With Sancho, you know that he needs some fullback that overlaps him all the time. You know Mm -hmm. that he needs space to cut inside. You know that he needs, you know, that a striker to play off. Saka's played off Lacazette and still played well. Like, that just tells you everything about how complete as a player he is. But with Sancho, I'd say that the bigger issue is more like is mentally like he's not even doing the basics right like I think he made some really like errant pass that nearly gave Spurs a chance even like having zero dribbles completed against Aspie that's not you not having ability that's just you not having the confidence to do that and I don't know why that is maybe you need to see some sort of respect Aspie <laughs> relax <laughs> <laughs> like maybe he needs like some mental intervention or something but something is not right with Sancho right Do, now you think he's also a victim of the Premier League really evolving you look at the last few years not many wingers aren't lightning quick have done well you look at Sancho himself you've got Hakim Ziyech at Chelsea this guy can't beat a man uh, any time <laughs> yeah, in the Premier League. Yeah. He's shocking. You look, at, He's shocking. You, look, you look at someone like Shakiri, who declined really as the Premier League's got, got more modern. He couldn't beat a man really due to that lack of pace. Uh, I think that might be a big issue. Look at these explosive yeah. wingers like Sam Maximan, Saka, um, uh, Marley Salah. even. Yes, Salah. Yeah. These, these guys can beat men because of their sheer athleticism and that is an issue. So physical, you can't, you yeah. can't change that. It's true. It's true. Um, quickly though, to build on um Karish's point, I think recency is something that has to be taken into consideration now though. 
Because let's not forget that Sancho in the Bundesliga was getting double-doubles, which isn't easy feat by any means. And I believe he was doing that at... Uh, it was in his teens, wasn't he? It was like 19. Yeah, it was like 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah very much in his I teens. Mean, so yeah. I feel like... But um, a good point also made by, um, by um, Dr. Raj was that essentially the Premier League is a completely different animal compared to the Bundesliga. So you'll get more, you'll get away more with being a technically gifted player alone in the Bundesliga than in the Premier League. But at the same time, I do think recency is favouring Saka, but it's, it's not favouring Sancho. I don't think I really want that conversation to really be had yet until Saka does it to such a degree at higher levels that yeah we can say that I wouldn't see this is where I don't agree I wouldn't say it's recency I'd say that Saka has been steadily evolving season upon season with Sancho is like started at a world-class level and now he's dipped to a Mm. basic level which is really strange Saka's better man one of them is a regular England starter one isn't no, yeah. but at the same time, is Gareth Southgate the manager? No, but let's be real. Sancho yeah. does not deserve to be starting over Saka. Okay, cool. F- fair enough. I'll take every argument in, in this pod except for the England star. Gareth Southgate... Think, wait, you think Sancho should be starting over Gareth Saka? Southgate, everyone who's listening, Gareth Southgate would pick Harry Maguire over Paolo Maldini if he could. <laughs> so I, I'm, not, I'm not hearing the England star. Uh, fair enough, but do you think, do you in your heart believe Sancho should be starting over Saka? Sancho at the peak of his powers. Not peak right now, bro. Yeah, he's not, not anywhere right near now. this peak. Of course not right now. All right, cool. So the, the conversation. Sancho, Sancho, Sancho in a mentally good place at the peak of his power in a system that optim then a system that optimizes both their abilities. I don't think you can trap bad too much because a double double that it includes the boom dash I can do that against Paderborn. Don't worry. No, you couldn't <laughs> give me a chance. You'll see. No, you couldn't. <laughs> They don't defend in Bundesliga, bro. Oh, they, my did God. You see, yeah, did you see Musiala... You see, Union, Union Berlin play oh. one deep block and look what happened. Top of the Bundesliga. <laughs> I wish you saw the goal Alfonso Davies connected with um, Musiala the other day to score. They did not defend, bro. He literally <laughs> nutmegged him at the corner flag, passed into yeah. a box, and there's six men staring at him. All I'm going to say is, Karis' favourite line is, you can only play what's in front of you. <laughs> now, to, be, to, be, <laughs> to be serious, yeah, it's too... It's way too early to write off Sancho. Like, let's forget all the jokes. It's way too early to do that. But he definitely does need to step up because of by the summer, you know, that Ten Hag is going to really invest in the squad and, you know, want to take it to another level. And I think United will go to another level under him. So it's about whether Sancho can keep up and change his game. But, you know, after the World Cup, is a good little gap for him to, like, recuperate and come back and, you know, find himself again. So we'll see. Who's, been the, who's been the bigger flop, Sancho or Grealish? Grealish. Grealish. No, Sancho. Sorry. <laughs> Grealish costed a like 100 mil, basically. What the hell? I know. I know. I'll take that into account. I know. But watching them in terms of performances, I think Grealish does a lot more for his yeah. team personally than Sancho does. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I agree. He's not as productive as he should be, Grealish, don't get me wrong, but I still feel like he's a lot more important and does more for the city system than Sancho. If you should make it a career, I'll get fouled the most. <laughs> <laughs> he did not need Grealish. That was a buy because they could. This is the exact yeah. Don't get wrong. I agree with you. About. Mm. That's what that was. Like you didn't need to buy him. They just bought him because it's like you know when Jay House like if I can't have you, nobody can. That's basically <laughs> what they done. He did not need to spend that money on Grealish. It's true. It was unnecessary. Also, I think Pep had some kind of mad fascination of trying to make an English player like the star boy of the of the country. 
Like his, uh, his Beckham, like, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he, he wanted that ego boosted by making Grealish world class. But yeah, it's failed. He's got that in Foden though, so at least, you know. That's true, yeah. Well, he's revived Almiron now, so fair enough. Fair play. <laughs> yeah, speaking of revivals though, we need to talk about it will be. It will be. He's having an amazing season. Like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing week in, week out. Like this guy, he's probably he's top three number eights in the league right now. Oh, 100 percent Like he's playing out of his mind. And yeah, I say Bruno G, he will be. And whoever else you want to put there, but I think, yeah, definitely, he's he definitely top three right now. Definitely. Yeah, so it'll be Bruno, it won't be, and probably Xhaka. Yeah. Right now. Right now, Xhaka's yeah. Uh, the well. uh, Bruno, maybe. I don't know. Just a okay, let, let, okay, avoiding the obvious roles, though. Yeah. All right, cool. Fair, fair, fair. Yeah, let's talk about it because I don't understand how yeah, we'll be, yeah. Lampard has managed to get that out of Iwobi, but. Nobody else has that. Maybe Lampard is actually. I mean, Lampard Arsene Wenger couldn't get this out of him. I couldn't believe it. That's my goal. I always said that's my goal. You know what? Though? Squeeze can hold that. I'm saying Lampard um, better than Gerard. What though? Um, I'll say, I say, go on. I always said Lampard's better than Gerard, and now <laughs> only one of the, one of them's managing. One of them's at home watching football on his TV, in it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Lampard will be joining him soon, man. <laughs> <laughs> One thing yeah, that I'll give Lampard that he's that he's talent that he's talent ID is very very good. Like he knows where to put players in the pitch. Like that's like the basic in it. But he's really really good at that. And, and obviously, yeah, Obi. I think he was a winger at Arsenal or something. Yeah, left winger yeah. or something. And then put him as an A, and now he's flourishing, man. So yeah, big up Lampard. But Lampard ain't that good, man. Let's be real. But yeah. But what happened with Gerrard, bro? Look, look, after look, I am like probably probably like in the minority of fans from Liverpool. But you've been anti Gerard, like, haven't you, this whole time? Yeah, bro, from like I'll say <laughs> after that like like that like honeymoon period, you know I think the first ten games when, when Villa won a few games and blah blah blah. Yeah, I just knew, yeah, this guy's not good enough, man. Like you watch his team, he's got wingers playing inside with no fullbacks, um yeah. t- trying to Give um give um width. He's got two strikers playing with two strikers in a four three three. If you want to play two strikers, play just just play a four four two. Do you get what I mean? He's got players like um he like he's still playing Mings. He's buying people like Diego Carlos. This guy is not. Yeah. This guy is not yeah. not doing it, man. He's not doing it. And obviously he got the sack. And obviously it was coming. It was coming, man. Like his team. Do you know what? His team defended quite well. I think even the stats. I think it's like ninth. When you look mm. at um t- 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 times G conceded, but obviously going forward, shocking man, shocking. Shocking man, shocking man. Yeah. He had he played like he, I don't get that like, he played with two tens in Coutinho and Bendia, but then he wanted to play um, what you call it? But then he didn't want to play with any um wingers. Like he's I don't know man. Gerrard's just. You know what it is, yeah? The next game... Yeah, the next game when they played against... Was it Brentford? They looked so yeah, much Brentford. free the moment... <laughs> the moment yeah. Gerard left. It's because that guy, uh, Aaron, Aaron Danks, completely changed it. He put Bailey and Watkins out wide, which is Wing. what it should have been the whole time. <laughs> simple stuff, bro. <laughs> simple, <yeah. laughs> so simple. Like, it's not like it was... Some, it was just simple. Just put them out wide. Do you get what I mean? It's weird. Yeah, yeah now, I don't know if you guys have seen, like, recently, there's rumours floating around that Villa's next manager is going to be Unai Emery. Good evening. It's confirmed. It's confirmed. Yeah, it's done. It's done. It's done now, you know. Done. Yeah, oh, good luck to the minute. Yeah, they've, they've announced it. 
Kairos, how do you feel about that, bro? Honestly, the man the, the, the minute they'll have Luca Luca Dino doing cutbacks like Kalasanak did, <laughs> Douglas <laughs> Louise number 10. You know, good luck to them, innit? They deserve it. Oh, I think that suit I think Villa probably suit his level, I think. I think I think that he can probably get them to a decent level. Obviously, his team Virial were very, very good. I can't lie. Like, when we played them in the Champions League, they gave us a few problems, didn't it? Like, I think he, I think he'll be able to get them to defend well. Like he'll, I feel like he just do the basics really well. Honestly, that, that's yeah. something that Gerard couldn't do. Do you get what I mean? So, yeah. Think with Emery, though, he's always been good in Europe, Europa League especially, but Villa aren't in Europe. Yeah. The league's always been disappointing for him. So it'll be interesting to see how yeah. that works out. I think um, yeah. he doesn't play that more proactive style of football that the likes of how uh, Arteta, Klopp and Pep will be playing. He plays a bit more on the back foot. Like if you remember when they knocked Bayern Munich out, it was all about soaking pressure in some kind of deep 4-4-2 block and then just countering with Danjuma, Pino and all of those quick it's players. Not football. So, it's not football. It's not football. It's anti-football. When I say it's anti- it's defender not part of football. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I'm, I'm already shivering, you know, just thinking about it. Like, please, that villa, we have to, we have to move on. <laughs> man, trying like, to get Petr Cech to play out from the back. I can't forget that. Oh, against Man City, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost yeah. passed it into his goal. <laughs> oh, no, I'm actually crying already, man. Like, I remember like the four for two diamonds were played. No, please, Lacazette and Aubameyang at top. <laughs> That's hilarious. Never again, man. That was not football. <laughs> but anyway, moving on. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Wobi's arrival. Another revival we can talk about is Granite Shackers. So before we get on to Southampton and Arsenal, I want you guys to talk about what you guys think of Shackers form and what you think has changed before I get onto it a little bit. He's had a serious, like from hero to zero, back to hero arc. It's mad because <laughs> this guy went from like a player that was like, Arsenal fans hated him, you know, the whole thing of him, that friend, the arm, the shirt on the floor, the armband, all of that. And now, like, I'm looking at him, no exaggeration, I think he's up for your player of the season this year. If he continues like this, it'll be between him and whoever else. But he's... Him and Saka, yeah. Yeah, for player of the season, like, it's unreal. The difference he makes when he's on the pitch, like, you can tell when he's not there, Arsenal's a different side. Mm. And it's great to have a player like him who, even though he's not wearing the armband, like, he's still a leader. He's still that player that, like, you know, cajoles everyone. It's like, you know, like, we need to get together and like, play properly. Like, we need to do this. Like, he fires everyone up. It's like, let's go. Let's get out of there and win this game. He doesn't need the armband to be a leader. And it reminds me of that, um, <clears throat> there was a video of, like, Mourinho where he was talking about leaders. He's saying there was a difference between, like, captains and leaders. You know, you've got players that are just captain and they wear the armband. When you've got players who are leaders that they don't need the armband, but they're, the, like, they're basically the manager's voice on the pitch. And I feel that's like that's what I was about to say. Is like, yeah, the good thing is that, say, for example, we score a goal, Shaka's always the one that tends to like get everybody together and huddle, be like, you know, everybody like just focus, you know, do your fundamentals right, this, this, that. And I think that's the best thing about Shaka is that whatever he's asked to carry out, you know, that he'll give minimum seven out of 10 every game. And that's what's helped us so much this season. Like his off ball running into gaps, most opposition teams can't really handle it. Now, even his finishing too has been really, really good. Like, even off his right recently, like, the last week or so, he scored two bangers off his right foot. Like, yeah, he's, he's always had a mad shot, though. He's an elite yeah. player. He's playing like Gun, like Gun, our Gundwan, our version of Gundwan, basically. That's what it feels like watching him. Because like, of yeah. him, Switzerland is low key my dark horse for the World Cup. Yeah, wouldn't it, bro? 
They won't win it, but I think they'll get. They'll to, go for. Yeah. yeah, I think they'll get to quarterfinal. I'm not gonna. I don't know. I think he just he does well. You know what? Oh, one. Oh, sorry, bro. Nah, go on, go on, let's go on, go on. All, all I was gonna say is that he and what he does well is things that the stat sheet won't show, which is mentality. I think if someone in if someone United had his, had his type of mentality, I think we would go even further because I think mentality is kind of that thing that you can bridge when like you're playing against a team that's better like skill set than you your mentality often is something where you have more control over like no matter how no matter how good you think you'll be the boy will always bust the midfield but if you have a good mentality i think that can really help the the team and people around you because he's the perfect age profile as well for what arsenal's doing for their rebuild he's not too old but he's kind of old enough where everyone looks at him like yeah shaka what do you do now and i think that's what's really helping him flourish as well but yeah yeah go on, yeah, I just wanted to say one little tweet that I've seen Arteta make is that I think I saw a um, graft between Jacko and Part, you know, and I think Arteta's like completely told him to don't get involved with um, build up in it. And obviously, if you remember the previous seasons, Jack had a few mistakes in them. Like when you give it to him during build up, he can lose a ball here and there. I think now he's always, I think now he's like, like I think like he's either um, higher up um, with um, Martinelli or whoever. So he doesn't really get involved with um, build up, and obviously as well defensively. I think as well, like, sir, say again. Um, defensively as well. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yes, and so obviously, like, yeah, I, I, I feel like Arteta's like made the game more simple. Do you know what I mean, like, he knows what to do. Um, don't get involved with build up. Do you know what I'm saying, um, start the pitch, and and you know what as well. You know what? There was one game. I think it was the Tottenham game. Tottenham game. I think. His runs off the ball are crazy, you know. Yeah. His runs off the ball are crazy for midfielder, and I didn't think that he was that good. So yeah, man, he's doing well. Uh, uh, yeah. Long I didn't know. He, I didn't know Go he had on, that sorry. movement in. I didn't know he had that movement in his locker. To be honest, like that Southampton yeah. goal yeah. on the weekend, he pulled. He, he doesn't. Run, he, he was running in a straight line, and suddenly just pulled back away from the Southampton defence to create space for himself. I didn't know he had that kind of stuff in his locker. I think the Swiss yeah. were playing him back when he was making his debut as a number ten. Maybe they knew all along, and it was Wenger yeah. who kind of shoehorned him into defensive midfield. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can maybe because when he was playing as a six, Jaco, he's getting destroyed on on like transitions yeah. and counter attacks and stuff. Yeah. But this now he's got um, Partey dominating all that side of things, and then yeah, as, as Squeeze said, it's freed him up to be lethal in the box. Yeah, Karis, how do you how do you think Arsenal played in that Southampton game? Do you feel like a draw was a fair result or? Do you feel like you should have kind of won that game? Looking back at it, a draw is a fair result. And the reason why I say that is because we started the first half really well, deserved our goal. We missed a few chances with Gabriel Jesus, to be honest, that he should have taken advantage of to put us more in the clear. Um, So yeah, first half we did really well and I was happy with it. And then when you look at the second half, it's like we weren't really controlling transitions well enough. There was a few sloppy passes here and there. Southampton started growing to the game and then they didn't really have many chances, but then they had that one chance that Astrid Armstrong scored and yeah, they sort of deserved it. Then near the annual, you know, we got back into it, but it was like kind of too late to be honest. So I think that, yeah, a draw was a fair result, but what annoyed me in that game is other than our missed chances, the referee, yeah, I don't know. What it was on a madness that game. The amount of fouls he let off, like I hate complaining about the referee because usually like, you know, again, don't get me wrong, we should have won the game, like, 
won the game regardless if our shooting, if we were clinical. And the fault lies with us firstly. But then beyond that, you know, the ref has got to make it a fair game. So that's where I'm just really annoyed with that. But I don't know what you lot thought about it. Yeah, Lianco, I'm not going to lie, he should not have been on the pitch. He, he had two separate incidents, literally like minutes apart and only got yellow. So first he headbutted in Katia. And choked and him then, too. Yeah, and then attempted to choke him. But then quickly pulled back to make it look like he wasn't trying to choke him. And the ref only gave him a yellow. It's like very inconsistent refereeing all the way through the game. A lot of decisions went against Arsenal, which I found very dodgy. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't know what you guys thought, Raj. What did you think from a tactical point of view from how we approached the game and what could have been better? Because obviously I was high a lot about missed chances, really, but I don't know what you thought yeah. about it. I think your structure was as good as always it is uh, and Arteta it was I think you were causing them troubles down that right hand side White making those kind of late overlaps giving Saka and Odegaard to move, room to move inside I, I think you're right Karis what, what the issue was I think missed chances I think that is was my slight concern for Arsenal ahead of the season was have they got enough good ball strikers in that front three um, obviously Jesus gets on the end of loads of chances because of his brilliant movement but does he have that ball striking to put it in the net often enough? And then Saka as well. If Saka could become a good ball striker, that is a, one of the best players in world football. That is literally yeah. the only thing missing from his locker. If he can get that finish from it coming inside from the right and bend it into the top corner, goals like that. He, If he can perfect that, then Arsenal will be lethal. But I think that's the only thing I'm, you're missing. I think I was a big fan of Smith Rowe. I think his, his goal scoring potential is quite high. Um, but obviously he's had injuries. I, I'm just wondering, is the would the balance be better if you had Smith Rowe in that kind of right-sided eight position instead of Odegaard? I know Odegaard is very important to knitting the play together, but Smith Rowe is an extra goal threat. I wonder whether Arteta may have to use him there eventually uh, if there's not enough goals coming from the front three. And I think with Xhaka uh, occupying that high left half space, that means Martinelli is not coming inside as much. He's more wide. Uh, he's more trying to just beat his fullback all the time. So he's not making those off-ball runs inside as much. He's not providing that goal-scoring threat that he has in his locker. We've seen it. Uh, for example, that goal against Spurs, was a, it, it was a good play. So, yeah, that that might be the thing. Does he need more goals coming from midfield? Jack is providing it, but could he get... Because Odegaard doesn't score many either, does he? So The thing with Odegaard is that we can't really leave him out because he's literally the conductor mm. of our attack. So, yeah. I think in times in the past season, we used to try like playing Smith and Odegaard together. But mm-hmm. I think for now, Smith Rowe will have to like contend for a substitute role. But I see the thinking because Smith Rowe, when he first broke free, he was very good, like overlapping Bukayo Saka, and it sort of like you know helped us mm-hmm. to create a lot of good scenarios there. So it's good to have loads of options, and I can't wait to have him back. Really, so who, who, who would you who would you rather pick uh, if say Odegaard's not playing Smith Rowe or Vieira at the moment? If Smith Rowe comes back, I would probably play Vieira for now because I think he has a little bit mm-hmm. more about him on the ball. But in that same space, it's very close between both of them. Like, it's not an easy decision because mm. you know what Smith Rowe can also offer as well. So, yeah. if anything, we still need Erdegaard, but it's just that we need to have more consistent ball strikers in there. So, like, Jesus has not historically been the best finisher, to be honest. And Bukayo Saka, I think there's evidence of him, you know, being able to strike a ball really well, but he's got to do it more consistently. So, it's just Martinelli, really, that I trust to finish, mm. if anything. Mm. I saw a statistic, I think it was from um, the Football Philosophy account that normally does like the XG stats. And they said that um, when Jesus was at City, he underperformed his XG by 20 goals. Wow. Crazy. 
So I think his XG was something like 79 and he only ended up scoring 50-something, which is mad because a lot of people are saying, you know, like um, when Arsenal signed um, Gabriel Jesus, they're saying, you know, like, oh, we're not, City fans are saying, like, we're not losing the player you think we're losing because, you know, we won the title without him. Like he was on the bench for a reason. And I guess now, even though, don't get me wrong, he's played well at Arsenal. He's got what, I think, is it eight goals and assists so far? Something like that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but again, like Harris said, he he's a volume player. He's not clinical as such. Like he needs a couple shots before he scores, which is tricky when you're trying to mount a title challenge in a team like Arsenal because you need a player that you know can finish those half chances. You need a player that you know nine times out of ten he will score. Whereas with Jesus, he's not he's not that reliable. And I think who was it that said it the other day? It was another Arsenal fan that was um, saying, "Oh yeah, like." In a year or two, Arsenal's going to need to replace Jesus. And some people thought it was a bit reactionary and whatever. But I saw that tweet, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you'll need to replace him. I think that's a stretch because he's still a good player. But I think maybe Arsenal in the summer might be looking to make a statement signing striker because, again, like you said, you, you still kind of just a tiny bit lack that goal scoring threat. What if, what if you switch Martinelli to number nine eventually? If he develops a bit more physically and put Jesus left wing, maybe that could work. If Martinelli looks like a better ball striker at the moment. Yeah, it's potentially that's... something that can happen. Maybe in the future, I wouldn't say now, because the good thing with Martinelli is that he started to develop his like dribbling a bit more. So like, mm. you know, he can evade his mark a bit more compared to how he used to be. So I think we'll see. You never know what can happen in the future, but for sure. Like to give you another flip side, is I saw some tweet as well that was saying that after Haaland, the next striker that has the most non-penalty goals and expected non-penalty goals and assists is Jesus. So it tells you about you know what he's about. He could put himself about everywhere. His dribbling, his link-up play, he makes others around him better. The issue is that he just can't keep his balance and strike a wall properly. That's the big issue right now. But he'll still be a very good player for us. It's just that you know we need him to be a bit more clinical now. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, seeing as we've got two Liverpool fans of us today, let's talk about the Liverpool Forest game, which I was absolutely overjoyed that they lost. <laughs> I was in my living room just crying tears of joy, man, saying, you know, this this Liverpool downfall, it's amazing to watch right now, you know, because for years, a lot of their fan base has always been like, oh, yeah, we've got the best player in every position. <laughs> and now they're fighting for their lives against Brentford and Brighton for top 10. So talk to me about that. You know, I'll be real now. I think this is on a tier. I do feel like we've done enough. We didn't play well, but on the balance of the two teams, I feel like we've done enough to win the game on, on like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Van Dijk had like four chances that he that he usually scores. Carvalho had a chance. Um, obviously, we didn't play well. We didn't play well. It was a poor, poor performance, but I feel like they didn't play well either. Do you get what I mean? Like, Montreal didn't really play well. They just, you know, they done what they usually do what they would do anyway, like sit back and whatnot. But I feel like, yeah, man, we're just obviously midfield. That's just the issue. That it's, it's just midfield. Um, Fabinho's declined like crazy. I have no clue what's going on with him. Henson, Henson. I don't want to talk about that guy. Um, <laughs> Chuggle injury prone. Um, you got Elliot, who's physically, for me, very, 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 very poor. Um, you've got Carvalho, who's uh, he's he, he's a hybrid, so midfield slash forward. But you know, like mm. you don't want to, like you don't want to um, 
rely on him to get you out of a mess, isn't it? And obviously you got Jones who's just gone out from injury. Um, yeah, so you get me like we just have no midfielders, bro. That's just the issue. And obviously right now Klopp's just trying to manage with what he has. Obviously the last two games against City and I think it was we played before we played um, Rangers of City and I think we played. Who do you? We we won one nil against someone after City, no? My brain was fucked. Uh, West Ham, um, West Ham. West Ham, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like obviously, we played well in those two games, and obviously, like you could see, I feel like there's a where we're we're getting better from the the, the like Fulham days, Fulham, um, yeah, from the the start of season and to now, we're getting better. It's getting okay, but obviously, it's still not it's still not good enough. Um, yeah, that's the story of Liverpool right now, isn't it? So yeah, before I let Raj um give his opinion on like Liverpool's current situation, I just want you guys to comment on this statement because in the summer transfer window they asked Klopp like if he wants to sign more midfielders and he said Fabinho, Henderson, Thiago, Milner, Keita, Curtis Jones, Harvey Elliott, Fabio Cavallo, Oxley Chamberlain. Now you tell me what kind of player are we missing? And it's quite ironic because now you need a midfielder. Obviously, I'll be real. Klopp shouldn't be as a Liverpool fan who's listened to Sky for years. He comes out with a lot of stuff that are questionable, which I mean, like, you can't deny that. Um, his transfer policy, the way he talks about transfers, the way he talks about um, the team, it's not accurate with what's on the pitch. Do you get what I mean? That's your venue. Henderson. That's your venue. <laughs> so, 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 what's that again? That's your venue, I'm telling you. Yeah, he is. He is, like, he's too sentimental to certain players. Um, he keeps on certain players. Like, for example, he let go of Gini Wijnaldum. Kept Henderson, um, signed on James Milner, which is fine if you're going to sign more players to give him like a more of a lesser role. But yeah, man, Klopp, Abbey Raw, when it comes to talking out to the public, to the fans about transfers, about the team, sometimes he can be a bit shady, Abbey Raw, it. And obviously, it is obvious. There's no way, unless, unless, look, unless Klopp is stupid, which I don't think he is, there's no way he believed that statement. Do you get what I mean? Like, He's known Chuggles, he's in Japan, Kate's in Japan, John's too young, Carvalho too young, um, Elliot too young, Fabino's getting older. Like, you, there's no way if you, like, he's a pro manager, he's been in the game for long enough. He knows that the team needed more bodies. You know what I mean? Better, like, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think with with Klopp, like, when it comes to statements like that, it's, he's bullshitting, in my opinion. He's bullshitting, but yeah. Raj, what do you think of the situation? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the midfield situation. Uh, before the summer, I thought Liverpool had one reliable and quality midfielder. That was Fabinho. Because although Thiago and Keita are quality, they're as injury-prone as anyone in the league, really. So what's happened now? We've got zero quality midfielders. Because Fabinho's declined. And is it any wonder that he's declined? Because this guy's been carrying the midfield on his back ever since Wijnaldum left. It's been him doing all the running. Him doing all the defensive work, um, especially when Thiago's been out. And now you're seeing it taking its toll on him. This guy can't even move. He moves like a lorry these days. He's getting ruined by Cechu Piate. Piate, that was his last performance, man. You're scared. Like, yeah, like, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. Piate, like, I, I, thought this I, guy, I, thought, I thought this brother had retired about five years ago, Piate, but he was running through, <laughs> running through Liverpool, man. But yeah, um, yeah. so the only guy who used to fill in for Fabinho was Wijnaldum. And they didn't even replace him. He used to re- come in here and there to pair the number six. And he did it very well. And then he went, wasn't replaced in the summer of 2021. It was just Canate who came in. 
And now Liverpool fans and Klopp himself are probably crying. What's gone wrong? You know what's gone wrong, mate. You haven't recruited enough midfielders. Uh, as, as Squeeze went through those list of names, they've all got flaws. Um, so, yeah, I think there needs to be big, big movement in the transfer window. January, one midfielder minimum needs to come in in January. Uh, my personal preference would be Caicedo from Brighton. This guy can do all the legwork in midfield that Wijnaldum needs to do. And he's probably better technically. So I'd like to see him come in January. And then in the summer, Cater's leaving out of contract. Milner's out of contract. Oxley Chambers out of contract. Another two then need to come in the summer. Um, but we'll see if that happens. I think hey, Bellingham. The ownership... um, I think he's. I think I. I've got a kind of controversial take on. It. I wouldn't go for Bellingham. I think he's going to be too expensive. This guy's going to take all your budget out. He's going to be a hundred million plus. Uh, Dortmund are going to want for him with that English tax applied on top. So I Madrid. Probably... Madrid won him as well. Yeah, yeah, Madrid will push the price up like they always do, like they do with too many. So I, I would stick away from Bellingham. I'd go for maybe someone like Enzo from Benfica or. Uh, as I said, Caicedo before, um, I think you can get better value on the market. Because I don't think one... Jude Bellingham won't fix the situation. One midfielder will not fix the situation. Yeah. You need more than that. So that's my point on that anyway. Um, I think if the midfield improves, I think you'll see a big improvement in Liverpool's team. Because you look against Man City, that Thiago-Fabinho pairing was in there and it looked solid. But it doesn't play often enough and Fabinho is now declining as well. So you, yeah, I think if you fix that situation, you'll see a better Liverpool. But whether it gets fixed or not is a different matter. Yeah, I think just to go point as well, I think like surely the club can't be that stupid to just think it's only better than like I I thought you know it, FSG. Yeah, no, no, but it's like it's like this is like something that's like so obvious. Like you know it's not just Bellingham. You need like we need a six or a mm. um let's have an eight, you get what I mean? So like I personally feel as if if we go get Saicedo in January, I think him and Bellingham in summer, I'll be happy with that. I'll be so raw. I'll, mm. I'll take that. Because obviously, we're starving, like you know what I'm saying. But yeah, yeah, I agree with, with um, I just putting like, if if it's just Bellingham, I don't want him. Do you get what I mean? Like, I don't want him. Mm. I'd rather have two midfielders than one really, really good one. So yeah, but yeah, that's just the issue, man. Like, and obviously, like, you see like, like a lot of like um opinions like about Liverpool, but it's just a midfield, bro. That's just it. It's just a midfield. Like, yeah, cool. Um, Van Dijk, um, Gomez, Matip, Trent as well. Obviously, he um, he's been playing um, badly as well. But obviously, I feel as if they just been being put under more pressure because the midfield is just so much worse. Do you get what I mean? So obviously, yeah, that's just what it is looking right now. The midfield. Uh, Kevin, I'd ask you as well. What do you think has been going wrong for Liverpool in like the last season or so? I guess. Uh, I think it's more of the as a standard trend of football. Like everyone has their time, and at the end of the day, I think Liverpool are not a team that's going to go like as far as United did, did. But at the same time, I think that it's just a matter of taking a step back this season, um, repairing yourself, um, mm. making the right signings. Uh, I think something that's not spoken about quite a lot um, is that the fact that Jurgen Klopp, on his good day, does cover a lot of the holes of the Liverpool management. Liverpool don't have good owners, by the way. Mm. And it's spoken about a lot because unlike United, they're not getting torched. Well, well, this season you can say so, but for the past couple of years, not be getting torched on a weekly basis. So it's very easy to say, oh, Liverpool's a well-run team. They do yeah. spend money efficiently, but don't get that confused with a good team that actually, with good owners that actually care. They don't. They don't really care. They kind of say you best get the most out of what we give you. So I personally feel like Liverpool may have to not necessarily break the bank, but may have to be a bit more. 
selfless in their spending, I should say, in this coming that, that, That's good to see a non-Liverpool fan recognising that because their owners get lauded to the hilt. But as you said, Klopp's been papering over those cracks. Yeah. Um, he won a Premier League title with Divock Origi as his only attacking depth. <laughs> I don't know how he did that, but he did it Crazy. somehow. But Crazy. these owners have never backed him that much. Um, yeah, and as Kevin says, now the cracks are starting to appear. And yeah, I agree. You need to take a step back, repair this season, write this off, get Champions League qualifications somehow, and then, uh, yeah, make the right buys. But also hoping that there could be new ownership, maybe. I think, the, I think this is now going to be the peak value of Liverpool as a club now. In yeah. terms of uh, the recession's coming as well. Let's not forget that. The recession's coming. And also Klopp's got the value of the club to its peak. I, I, I've heard a few murmurings as well that the, the American owners are looking to sell uh, if they get the right offer. So I'm hoping that's true. And they <laughs> yeah. do it before, before the value drops even further. Yeah. I, I, I think one inside thing sources, I'll say is, heard it here. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> one thing I'll say is that, is that like, right now, like, I think it's definitely going to, it's like, we don't need like certain like we need like I feel like Liverpool are gonna have to step out of their buy small mm. approach of like trying trying to find gems. Like we're gonna have to go big, and obviously that, that, that and obviously that's gonna take the owners to to be like, all right, cool, we kind of fucked up. Let's just dip top a bit more than we usually do and buy a few players. But I can't see that happening. Do you get what I mean? So I think the best case scenario is we let a few midfielders go. I think, and then obviously try to get as much money as we can and then just try try to buy it. But yeah, man, just going off what these lot do with FSG, yeah, man, like, I'll be real, I, I do feel as if the, the, the decline of Liverpool is happening. I feel like it'll be a while till we compete for a title again, um, unless there's heavy investment and not just like, I think 200 million, like, like that kind of thing, do you get what I mean? So yeah, man, just got to wait and see. Um, but yeah, that's just the story of, of Liverpool right now, man. Speaking speaking of ownership and that like investment, I think an example you know some it it's kind of polarized football in terms of whether it's like fair or whatever. But Newcastle, you know, right now they're sitting in fourth place on goal difference. They're tied on points with us, but you know they've got new owners recently and they've broken the bank for players like um, Grimarish. You know he's signed a new contract now. He's staying like. He, if anyone wants to buy him, it's not going to happen. You'd have to pay a ridiculous amount. But do we think that Newcastle is a genuine top four team already? Or is it kind of a bit of a purple patch? Not right now. It will even out eventually. Not, not right now. I don't think it's a purple patch, but I feel like they're going to tail off like eventually. Do you get what I mean? I feel like Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, United, um, Arsenal, see that's six teams that are better, in, in my opinion. I think if you go over, I think if you go over the course of the season, I feel like they should, these teams should finish ahead of them. Obviously, they could obviously break in top six, um, top seven, or, or whatever. But I feel like right now, I don't think so. I think Callum Wilson, he's he's quite um, he, um he's prone to um two injuries. Almir, um, wasn't, um, what's he name? The guy on the left, I forgot his name now. The, the left winger. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's prone to injuries as well, do you get what I mean? So I feel like, they got a good team, a good first, like, first 11, first 12, but I feel like the top six should, should, but I think next season, definitely, definitely, next season is 100%. They, they'll definitely, because they, I think they, since, since January, last January, I think they've invested 200 million so mm-hmm. we can imagine from this January and then next summer they're gonna 
put in, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be there next season or, or, or thereabouts. So, yeah, it's got another giant. I think, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think in terms of the Newcastle team, what I like is that it's also if we look at the Newcastle top game as an example, it showed two polarising teams. Eddie Howe's team was one that was really, really pressing and getting in the faces of Tottenham. While Tottenham, if I remember a tweet that I saw today, they're bottom of the table for successful presses in the league. That just tells you everything about two sides that are on different ends of the spectrum. And Eddie Howe's gotten the best out of players like Jacob Murphy or Almiron, who was not really in any good sort of form. Now he's back to his form that he was showing when he was in America. So it just shows you what a good manager can do to maximise the players that they have. Meanwhile, Conte, we told every Arsenal has talked about Conte at some point, but nobody ever listens. Like this recession on the Conte is come early than expected, to be honest. Like, and I'm not really surprised. Like, Kudusevsky is looking like the most important player right now. And without him, they just look devoid of any sort of creativity. Meanwhile, Newcastle are getting the best out of guys like, no disrespect, like Joe Linton. Um, again, Almeron. He's been balling though, I can't lie. Uh, Longstaff has come back into the fold again. Like, you Shout see what out I'm saying? Dan Byrne, man. Shout out Dan Byrne. Yeah, he's yeah, good. Dan Byrne, <laughs> Bot- Botman. Botman should be a good shout, you know, to like, I don't know whether I could say start for Holland, but he's been really good for them. Yeah. I've been really yeah, impressed yeah. with him. That, there you see the difference. Um, Spurs needed a left-sided centre-back. They got Clement Longley, some guy who's finished about six years ago. And mm. Newcastle got Sven Botman. There's a big difference there yeah. uh, in terms of uh, thinking. Um, Botman's probably been one of the best centre-backs this season. So, yeah, I, I, you saw that. Newcastle pressed Spurs off the park. Uh, that back three of Dyer, Davinson Sanchez and Longley, they were dreadful on the ball. Shocking. And that just it just means Spurs can't get a foothold in games uh, compared to Newcastle's defence. Uh, you see someone like Trippier, he's been impressive. And I have to say, yeah. he deserves to start right wing-back for England at the World Cup if James yeah. is out. Not Trent. Trippier has been levels ahead of him this season. 100%. 100%. But, Raj, what do you think What do you think about Conte? Because I know that, obviously, as the season, you were, like, a, a big fan of him. So, like, what do you make of the fact that, obviously, the, f- the fact that he doesn't press as much as, obviously, the the clocks, the peps and that, like, what, do, you, do you feel like he can still finish third or, or second or first? Like, what, what's, your, what's, your, what's your take on... I think, Conte. yeah, yeah. But the reason I like Conte is he is able to normally, like last season, he's able to squeeze every last drop out of some bang average players. And his system kind of papers over those weaknesses of players like Dyer, Ben Davis, Hoiberg, those kind of guys who are quite limited players. But yeah, he, his ability to not impose himself on games is an issue. I, 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 was, I remember his Inter Milan side, they were a, a lot more aggressive than this, but I think they also had better players at the back. That back three of Bastoni, Defry, and Skriniar did allow him to control games a lot better than they can in the Spurs. I think he has got a big issue with his personnel. But yeah, he doesn't impose himself on games, as, as he said. His pressing stats are down. So I, I think they can get top four. I I, I think they can scrape yeah. it ahead of United and Chelsea. I think his system is going to be more ingrained than those guys. Those guys are still finding their feet slightly. And I think he'll probably demand signing yeah. in January like he did last January. He got uh, Kulisewski and Ben Tanker. I think he'll try and go again and try and improve those centre-backs and maybe another midfielder as well. So I think I've got him finishing in fourth. I think... Um, what's he, Do you what? know what, though? I agree with the United team because I feel like United fans and just the whole media as a whole are really behind United right now. 
And mm. I feel like obviously you're doing very, very well, but this is the start of your rebuild. I am unless obviously and and obviously your rebuild will be a lot shorter than Liverpool or Arsenal because obviously the Glazers they usually spend the money. So yeah, I'm not saying that it'll take you three, four. Yeah, so I'm not saying that it'll, it'll take you as long as um um Liverpool or whatever. But I feel like there's still a lot of pain to come for United. I, I don't <laughs> feel as if United have turned. Okay, you have turned. Kevin's not hearing like, that already. He's like, no, no, uh, no, no, because like. <laughs> I'm on tour and like everyone's plays United. Like everyone's saying, yeah, top four, top two, top three, maybe. Do you get what I mean? But obviously, I still feel like there that there will be a period of pain. Do you get what I mean? Obviously, the the football that Tengard wants to play is hell of football. Do you get what I mean? And, and obviously, there's still players within that team that aren't good enough, mm. no matter mm. what kind of form they're in. Um, the gear, um, Dallo, um, do you get what I mean? Like there's these players that are around the pitch that are not good enough. So I feel like United are doing very, very well. They will obviously, it's without a shadow of a doubt that they're probably going to get back up there. But I feel like this season, there will still be a few more twists, a few more downs. Do you get what I mean? So, yeah, that's just my opinion on United. You know, because I feel like right now everyone's kind of like sucking it off. But yeah, yeah, I'll say that. <laughs> Evan, what would you have to say to that? All I'm saying is, certain man can't let me get a shred of happiness. Thirteen, we have been getting absolutely destroyed. You know what I mean? But at the same time, what you said is facts. Like at the end of the day, a lot more pain will come before happiness. Got in football terms, you know, the word, the power of the tongue. And um, <clears throat> I think, especially seeing what the Glazers are saying externally from football, um, I know it's not one of the segments, but the Super League has come up again recently. Yeah, speaking yeah, about yeah. they want to put that into action. Of course, the demonic Glazers are one of the big voices involved in that. Um, also, Old Trafford is falling apart and they're saying that they're not... They said that they're not going to start repairing Old Trafford until two years' time, which coincidentally falls within the same time frame as the establishment of the Super League. Prospective establishment Oof. of the Super League. So, do you know what I'm saying? If I speak too yeah. much or missing, you know what's happening. Kevin's got his tinfoil hat on right now, man. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, these, um, United is... Um, is boxing with a hand behind your back, which is a phrase that Mark Goldbridge throws around a lot. And I do believe he has a point because although Ten Hag could be a better manager than uh, Graham Potter, depending on who you ask, Graham Potter will be backed by um, the American uh, uh, American version of Abramovich. Mm. I'll say um, one more thing before we move, like, move on. Mm. Um, going back to Newcastle, um, say we get we skip forward to summer 2023. Do you think if they have like a really successful summer, like firstly, what would it look like? And secondly, would it be enough to get them to a Champions League spot? Absolutely. I think they would look like a basically a Man City's little brother, essentially. Because what people don't understand now is football is heading in such a weird direction in terms of like purchasing power is so important now. You know, you've got teams like Villa that can afford to go out and buy like was it Villa or was it West Ham? Who signed Douglas Louise again? It was Villa, isn't it? Villa, yeah. 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 They're a mid-table club and they could get Douglas Louise above everybody else because they can offer him big monies. Like a team like Newcastle, you know, they have the heritage already. They're not a small club by any means. Now they've got backing, they've got money. You know, you're gonna see a lot of players that you wouldn't have typically expected to go there start going there. Like, not to say it's gonna happen, but I wouldn't even like be shocked if Neymar ended up at Newcastle one day because 
I wouldn't be surprised at all because they'd have. If Neymar goes, I'm going. They'd have the money to afford his wages. That's the thing. I'm there. There's Neymar like the chilly winds of the northeast. There, that is the problem. Yeah, yeah, he ain't going there. He ain't going there. Yeah, deep it. Yeah, he'll die. Yeah, like they'd be able to buy all the big names in football. Like they would be competing with the likes of like Madrid and like bidding wars. They in City and other teams would have to just sit back and watch. To be honest, and it kind of like um the other day Klopp was speaking about how um I can't remember what the journalist asked him specifically, but he was essentially saying that Liverpool has a ceiling, whereas teams like Newcastle don't. Because teams like Newcastle, they're, because they're owned by the Saudis, it's basically an infinite pot of money. You know, if they say tomorrow, like, fuck it, we want Haaland and we're going to pay £250 million release clause, they'll do it. Like, nobody else can do that. Whereas a team like Liverpool, their owners, they've got a very strict budget. And as much as in terms of revenue-wise, they can compete, but their owners don't set them up to be able to do those things. Like, they've more... The way they set up is like you, the money they spend is from like the competitions they win, their placements, you know, TV rights, all of that. So Liverpool's not a team that their owners will be like, okay, here's 200 million pounds, go buy who you want. Even though they could, they're just not set up that way. Whereas mm-hmm. Newcastle, yeah. because of their new owners and like, you know, where the money comes from and everything, there's no way they can spend that amount of money and not be into the Champions League conversation. Like, I give them max three years, to be honest. They will be competing for top less than that, probably. Yeah, they'll be competing for top four every season at that point. They'll probably displace yeah. teams like Tottenham. I think. I think it'll be Tottenham that ends up suffering, suffering and being edged out of that conversation. No, that, no, yeah, no, no. and do you know what as well? To answer Carrie's point about how they look like, I think obviously Almiron doing quite. Almiron is doing quite well right now, but they obviously they're obviously going, going to get a right winger. I'm possibly thinking that maybe probably they might get someone to partner with uh, Bruno G midfield. Obviously, Willock, I think right now it's Willock and Joe Linton and Bruno G, so he might obviously have to up- upgrade on that. But I feel like, yeah, like if they, especially if they get a right winger, a front three of a, let's say, hello, let's say like a, a very good right winger, um, Alexander Isak, and then you got Almiron. That's a very, very good front three. Do you get what I mean? Plus as well. Yeah. Fullback, so I feel like, yeah, Newcastle are serious. Obviously, it's inevitable, like, they're gonna end up winning the Premier League one day. Do you know what I mean? Like, in the in the next four or five years, do you get what I mean? So, it's it's fucked, but it is what it is, isn't it? It's what it is. They're, they're heavily linked with um James Madison, who's been playing on that inside right position for Leicester, and with Trippier, yeah, <laughs> with Trippier overlapping Madison. That looks mm. pretty dangerous. Scary. They, Scary. If it happens in January as well, Leicester might not be able to turn down the bid. But that Ooh, would be big for the yeah. top four race. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. That's scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a United, my United friendship contract running out. So um, my next move could be Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, lads, it's been a fantastic segment. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. I'll continue. I thought you were trying to wrap it up. That's what no, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah. Fantastic segment on the footballing side of things. However, as biomedics talk ball, we also do take pride in um, speaking on the academic side of things, specifically with affinity for scientific fields. So obviously, as biomedical science graduates, um, I'm starting medicine in January, so I'm not going to speak on something I, can, I cannot yet speak on. We're going to speak on the peak of scientific courses, the, the one with the main clout, the baba of courses. Dr. Raj, can you please speak to us? about the medical field, how you feel um, it is in the United Kingdom. Do you have any rants about it? Any criticism about it? Any things you enjoy about it? 
just just speak just speak as freely as possible have a freestyle if you will yeah <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah first of all congrats on getting into medicine um uh, and big yeah. achievement a hey, round of applause quickly yeah um yeah i mean it's it is a very good profession i have to say i think you can't replicate the feeling you get from being a, a doctor in terms of uh, improving a patient's life that at the end of the day is why i went into it um if you're going into it for like money and those kind of reasons it's not the right profession but i i just don't think you can replicate that in any other profession that's my personal opinion anyway uh and, and that's why it suits me um when when you see a treatment being given to a patient that you've started and then you follow through their path and it makes a big improvement to their health or their quality of life there yeah it just it, it ignites something ignites something in me to be honest but um yeah in terms of the system itself the nhs i have to say it is getting more demanding i mean mm-hmm. i've been working for um it's coming up to it'll be coming up to three years and um yeah it the covid pandemic has basically shaken up the NHS a lot in terms of in load, in terms of waiting lists. And you're seeing ambulances getting, like, people getting treated in ambulances because no beds in A&E, that kind of stuff. The pressures are enormous. It used to be just winter pressures, but now it's annual pressure. Literally, there's no season yeah. to this stuff anymore. And add the uh, government, what they're doing as well. Yeah. yeah, the government, in terms of funding, that is a disgrace, really. In terms of, you see some of the stuff that's going on in terms of, the condition of the hospitals and the facilities there should be a lot better in terms of what we're getting from them um, but i don't think it should detract anyone from doing it um if you know from work experience and things like that that you want to be involved in improving people's lives then yeah definitely go for it and it, obviously it combines that scientific side of things and the other advantage of medicine is there's a whole branch of stuff you can go into and you will find something that you enjoy um throughout medical school and then when you first start working as well so that is another advantage it's a very diverse career uh, uh oncologist has a completely different job for someone like a orthopedic surgeon you can do anything really even as a gp as well the, the being a gp is not just restricted to doing surgeries at, at your practice you can specialize and have special interests in other things as well um and yeah so the, the diversity of the career is great um and there's a lot of flexibility there so you will find something that you enjoy um but yeah so definitely recommend doing it to anyone who, who's got interest and before you continue could you tell us like what role you do specifically in medicine oh right so yeah I, i'm um what they call a, a senior house officer so after your first year your the first two years are being a foundation year doctor so you do fy1 fy2 i'm now like locoming so i'm doing a bit more freelancing kind of thing because basically i got a bit tired of the road of doing night shifts and weekends. So now I just pick my hours uh, to what I want to do. So I'm going to be doing that for a year. And hopefully I have an interest in sports medicine, actually. So um, I will do GP training to get into sports medicine and hopefully work for a, a team. So I've done a bit of work for a football team already. So hopefully I can uh, like progress up the ranks and eventually become a doctor for a, a, a decent team uh, after I finish my GP training. That's Maybe Liverpool, man. He's mentioned that because Maybe yeah, Liverpool. Liverpool, don't, Liverpool don't even have a doctor. We need you, bro. We need you. <laughs> <laughs> and sign him up quickly. All right, hey, yeah, his job. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a shame, man. The, the vacancies come at the wrong time. If I had, yeah. obviously, I don't have nowhere near enough experience now. Like, I need, like, I, and I also haven't done my GP training. So, yeah, uh, I mean, if only it was like another four, five, six years down the line. But hopefully, one day, anyway. 
Yeah, before I hand over back to Kevin, I think it's quite interesting you've mentioned that, um, because obviously this is a football-centric podcast, but I didn't actually realise you could get into like becoming a club doctor through medicine as well, because I think most people Mm. think you have to study like sports science or physiotherapy, Mm. the actual degree at universities, but I didn't know that you could go into like studying the GP route and then end up as a sports Yeah, because the interesting thing is about being a doctor for a team, you don't just look after the sports side, you're basically their GP as well. So you deal with any kind of stuff, like for example, Thiago, had an ear infection before the Forest game. Yeah. The club doctor would be called to deal with that. So you're dealing with everything to do with their health, not just the uh, sports and uh, musculoskeletal side, so everything. So that's why some people recommend doing GP training first to then go into it. That's fantastic. That's very, very, that's very, very good. Um, so that's like the peak end of the career. So let's 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 go to ground roots. So obviously, I'm not sure how these statistics um, are true. Obviously, you're in the field, so you probably have more information. But I know the general statistics thrown around is for undergrad is ten to one, and for postgrad is a hundred to one. So, mm-hmm. what advice would you give to prospective medical students, and what little knows would you give if you could to make the journey as smooth as possible if that's even possible with the medical field yeah so you are you talking about in terms of applying for medicine before what yeah. kind of uh yeah so yeah. i think one thing that helped me a lot was i did um voluntary work at a hospice so i worked at marie curie cancer care and that yeah. i think gave me a big insight into the medical profession and you're seeing like patients who were desperately ill and um or do, during their last days some of them so that gave me a great insight and how uh, in how you can improve people's quality of life even when they are end of life and palliative um, and, and, I, and also I, I enjoyed that placement as well in terms of being able to help people and improve them uh, and that made me want to do medicine to be honest that placement so yeah that's one thing I recommend um, also I would recommend doing some kind of like research-based activity so maybe uh, compiling some stats and doing an audit or something on 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 something scientific especially if you're going for the postgrad you could probably do an audit on on something scientific based and that gives i think having a good grasp of statistics and research is important in medicine well everyone talks about the clinical side but research is also a heavy uh duty in terms of being a doctor you need to have good good knowledge of that um what else i would say yeah just generally if you do a lot of work experience in different departments so medicine and surgery as well so they're obviously do different things and they're very different. So I'd have a, I'd try and get experience in both of those fields uh, at a hospital um, just to see also. It gives you an early indicator of whether you enjoy it or not. So, yeah, those would be my free tips. Voluntary work, uh, doing some kind of research-based activity, even in a lab. I think, Karis, you've done a lot of lab work, haven't you? You probably, all, got, all you guys probably have. Um, and then thirdly, um, doing, doing both the medical and surgical side of things. I think that's the really good thing about medicine is that <clears throat> there's a variety of things you could do. Actually, it's funny, Raj. My girl, like, you's also going to Union of Leeds right now. She's doing med there in her fourth mm. year. And yeah. the good thing about the degree is that they've got a whole range of stuff that you can do. Like, right now, she's in ICU. I mm. think the week before, she was in anesthetics. Another week, she was doing something else. So the amazing thing about medicine is that like whoever you are and whatever you want to get out of medicine there's a high chance that you'll get it and it's just you know just applying yourself and just you know being open to anything really because there's always a range of st- stuff that you can do yeah, yeah. And, and the other thing I, i'd say about um in terms of preparing for application interview wise don't 
uh, when people say you can't practice for interviews, but you definitely can. Always practice for an interview because it, it looks a lot more slicker when you're answering questions and have examples ready of where you've shown particular skills like leadership, teamwork, entrepreneurship, that kind of thing. Uh, have those examples in the back of your mind. I think they're important to express at an interview. And they, they and, and if you can apply that to the work experience and uh, voluntary work you've done, that helps you stand out at uh, application time. That's that's fantastic advice. And I think a good closing out um, point for this segment as well is also something to bring awareness to. And I believe someone in your who's um, really gone through that journey and, and has gone to the actual position, your inspiration to a lot of people. I think we can actually help some of our listeners who may be going through things, not willing to or, or open to expressing. So I, don't, I know it's a big problem in America. So I know one in five medical students do end up killing themselves due to the stress and strains of medical school. What could you say to anybody who's listening now who may be depressed during medical school or may perhaps feel a bit I know there's something called imposter syndrome mm. that does go around mm-hmm. amongst medical students so what kind of advice would you give them in terms of work-life balance time management and things of that nature I think the thing that really helped me with um, the work side of things is working with your friends as well like I've always felt like individual work used to get me down it felt like a heavy burden um, but when you were working with your mates going to library with them, um, sharing like plans of what you're going to tackle next. I felt that really helped me at medical school uh, and even like clinically practicing on them in terms of your examination skills. So, yeah, I, I would never recommend working individually. I think that is what can bring some people down because it seems like a mountain of work. But then when you're sharing that load of other people and they're in a similar situation to you, I think that helps a lot. And in terms of work-life balance, always make sure you've got those hobbies, obviously, outside of medicine. Um, even if you feel like there's a mountain part of work, you're never going to tackle that unless you're switching off doing something else, rather sport, gym. Um, so yeah, m- uh, music, that kind of thing. So definitely have those there. Um, and yeah, I, that, those were the two things that helped me just working at, with other people and then being able to switch off for medicine. Um, like going, if you, when you're at placement, for example, you can't go from placement and then immediately start doing work. You need to break up your day somehow uh, and you'll be able to tackle it a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I know you're. I know you're too humble to say it as well. But you write for BBC Sport, isn't it? So that's the way you break up your time. So how have you been finding, like, writing articles for them, and also, you know, working these night shifts or whatever you've been doing so far? Yeah, I mean, it's been tricky. But the good thing is they've allowed me to just do a freelance thing. So when I want to pitch an article, um, they they will then consider it. So it's not something that's putting too much pressure on me. I think I wouldn't be able to handle doing it and doing BBC Sport regular writing. So that, that's the thing that's helped me. But again, that, as, I, as I said, it's helped me switch off from the medical side. I, think I, I, kind of, I just enjoy like watching footage about a particular team or player and then analysing it and then writing it. That, I find that enjoyable. So that's helped me switch off from medicine a lot, definitely. That's good. Um, yeah, I think this is a good place to close out. So thank you again to our guests uh, squeeze and dr raj for coming on would you guys like to drop your socials before i close out cool yeah you can just follow me on uh, twitter raj singh chohan uh anyone can feel free to message me as well if they need any advice or help on, on anything as well uh yeah yeah so yeah like, you can follow me on twitter um nine squeeze um yeah obviously right now i'm like a highest from football content um, creation but yeah it's following there and yeah i'll say that's probably the, the, the best place to catch me 
Okay, that's good. And as usual, thanks to Kevin and Denzel for making this an enjoyable experience. It's been good recording with all of you guys as well. And yeah, if you want to follow our content, as always, follow at the BTB pod on Twitter. We have our podcast on Spotify and for Apple Music listeners as well. So, so not Apple Music, Apple Podcasts. I'm not familiar with that. I just use Spotify exclusively. So and that's why. Um, yeah, so I think this is a good place to close. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.